if you've got some sadness inside, you might have some sadness coming up and out. If you have some rage inside, you might have some rage coming up and out. And who wants to feel their feelings? There's billions of industries built on top of ensuring that we never have to feel our feelings. And the meditation makes that non-negotiable. So there is a price to pay for this. Like you will have to walk through the fire. You will have a period of mental and, and physical detoxification likely, but that is the very healing mechanism that is allowing you to perform at the top of your game on the other side of that catharsis. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Are you oming? I am, no, that was actually the tail end of a yawn. Oh, you stifled a yawn. Yes, because I'm quite sleepy. Yeah, we got we to gotta get this fixed. This is not a good look for people in our business to be dragging us and not well in the area of, of sleep I and know, energy. It's not that I'm, I'm, well, actually, many people would argue you're sleep deprived, you are quite unwell, <laughs> as we just learned. But, you know, it's just like, uh, occupational hazard of... It's life with a vomiting child. It's life with a toddler. We're going to tell you it happens. Some might say. Yes, I know. We're, Here comes I, my I, segue. I know we're transitioning. You always know when my segue is coming. Some might say that the perfect antidote to a bad night's sleep is a nap, and others might say it's meditation. Both are beneficial, yes. and no one would disagree on that. Fair. For this episode, we are focusing on meditation and we go deep. Yes, with we do. Emily Fletcher. Emily, she founded Ziva Meditation, which I've kind of sung the praises of, uh, as some people may have heard in previous episodes if you listen in order. That, you know, it's, she's created this practice that, I mean, she'll, she'll get into it, so we don't need to go into detail. But I just think that what she's doing with her practice and her approach is unique. And look, there's, there's definitely a modality of meditation or mindfulness or some mind work that works for everybody. This one, I feel, happened to be the most... I felt like I was most receptive to this compared to others. I think... I don't know. I felt like you you got some good takeaways from that conversation. You got some inspiration. Yeah, I did. Because, you know, what I like about it is that it's not an app. It's truly like teaching you the tools to then just go off right. and use. And I get kind of, I've tried a bunch of these apps like Calm and whatever other word you want to insert. Bliss. <laughs> um, chill. It's just like there are so many of them now and they all seem to be doing kind of the same thing. And it's really, it seems a little gimmicky. And oftentimes I just can't even get past the sound of the person's voice. Like it just irritates right. me. But Right. This she's is really about like, guiding yourself. It's not about following a guide. Yeah. And she's, she's just, she, she can speak at, you know, she's got such an amazing knowledge around the yeah. subject. So, and she gets into the science of it too, which I yeah. appreciate because I think for anybody out there who thinks it's a little too woo woo, you can go down that path if that's what works for you, because there is a spirituality right. element to it. But if that doesn't resonate with you at all, then just listen to the science of what actually happens when you put yourself into this state, even for just a few minutes a day. So. Yeah. 
it's pretty remarkable. I will just say this. I do like my children so much more after I meditate. Well, that's saying that's, that's something that's real. Yeah. So yeah, I, I usually like to meditate. Anyway. Okay. So Emily Fletcher, have a listen. She's amazing. So we were talking about uh, everybody's level of meditation practice. And I will tell you now, in all honesty, that I started my Ziva journey in December. I stumbled... Actually, here's what it was. My doctor prescribed it. Who's mm-hmm. your doctor? I got a parsley. Oh, yes. My doctor is Zandra. Yes. She's wonderful. We've had her on the podcast. A couple and times. Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking about, we did some like hormone testing and looking at levels and sleep and stress and all that. And I do a whole lot of things for all those things. And she was like, what's your meditation practice? And I said, it's actually lacking a little bit. I've You're done- like Chardonnay. <laughs> well, there's a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of that. But no, I've, I've, I mean, I've been on a meditation journey, I suppose, for quite some time. I think like five years at this point. I started with Headspace. I've done Calm. I've gone to Inscape. I've done like literally everything. And I never... I, I stayed with it every day. But I never really found that I was actually connecting to it or feeling like I was noticing any progress. She's like, well, you should try Ziva. She's like, Emily's a cool chick. She was like, you guys would be friends anyway. And here we are. <laughs> she was right. It's happening now. And then I looked at her bio. And I was like, oh, she's a former Broadway girl. And I was a dancer. So I was like, okay. We're just gonna make all of this happen. No, but I I started the, I did the three days and I was like, I'm just gonna do the three days and see, you know, see where it takes me. And I was completely hooked and I have not missed a day since then. Oh my gosh. High five. So, high five. High Congratulations. Five. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And so since December, we're mid-January. So we're doing it up about so it's a been month. About five weeks. Five weeks. Okay. Yeah. So every day, twice a day, five weeks. Mm-hmm. Okay. I might have missed my second time of a day a few times. Okay. Mostly on vacation. Like vacations and weekends are the hardest. I have questions for you about that. I'm happy to answer. Um, yeah. Zoe? Yeah. Oh, you want me to confess about my meditation? Yeah. There's no confession, just my sharing. Practice. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's actually, um, it's not Chardonnay, it's Nebbiolo. Um, <laughs> What's Nebbiolo? Is that wine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite, getting a wine education. My favorite grape. I, uh, like Erica, have done a lot of the apps. Mm-hmm. Calm. Headspace. I think I find that the voices sort of annoy me more you're, often. You than and not. me both, girl. <laughs> you and I me just both. like I can't get into it. Like, and I know that some some of them you can toggle and choose your voice. People put their meditation and yoga voice on. They do, Erica, and just be. It's just like it's too much. It gets it's so distracting for me. The only time, honestly, that I've ever been able to truly meditate, like I feel like truly not like half ass on some app is during acupuncture. Mm. So, which I do, I don't know. I try to do about once a week, but it's like lights dimmed, I'm lying on a table. I've got my needles in. So I literally cannot move. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, they'll ask you if you want to lay there in silence or if you want to listen to some kind of whatever Gregorian chant or something very like mellow. And sometimes it will be a guided meditation with headphones. I've been to some acupuncturists where that's the option and that's been amazing too. Um, And that seems to work really well for me. Mm, But all you need is an hour, an acupuncturist, a room, (laughs) and a couple hundred bucks and you're good to go. Oh, what? That's not for every man? (laughs) Wait a minute. Do I live in a bubble? (laughs) I'm just saying over time, I get a little expensive, especially if you want to meditate every day. Okay. So yes. 
indeed it does get. And I'm very grateful that I have that opportunity. Actually, our acupuncturist we've had on here a couple of times. Yeah, uh, we basically are just trying for goods and services. Paul Kempisty. Okay. He is in Soho and he's just this like amazing Chinese medicine practitioner. I mean, he's great. He's got a great practice. Um, But so, okay. So that's been my journey. I don't have any real routine. I kind of do it whenever I can find moments here and there. Sometimes I'm just like meditating if I'm on the subway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that kind of thing. I think it's happening more and more. I'm, yeah. It's more I'm projecting. When I go on a subway, I'm like, he's meditating, she's meditating. I'm like, they're probably napping. But in my <laughs> mind, I think they're meditating. Sure. Or they're probably zoning out. It's funny. A, while, a long time ago, I had this conversation with a bartender friend of mine. He He's like this very like high energy kind of intellectual, you know, smart, too smart for his own good kind of personality. And he is that guy who, he, when he's on the subway, he's got like, Earpods in, is reading a book, like he's listening to music, he's reading a book, doing all these things at the same time. I'm always fascinated by those people. Yeah. And he just t- told me one day how irritated he was by like the people who, when they're on the train, he's just like, how could you just sit there and do and nothing? Do nothing and just stare <laughs> at the wall. He was like, he was just like disgusted by them. <laughs> oh, that and he's I, the one irritated by people doing nothing. It's fascinating. I, I, right. And I was like, you know what, Michael, I bet you. That is their one and only time during the day where there is no one screaming at them. Maybe it's like a kid. They're not at work. That's literally like the fourth space. It's like a place where they can be still and quiet. And like, this is like probably 15 years ago. And it's like, had I had the language that I do now, I would probably just said they're meditating, Mm. you know, in their own way. But anyway, but let's talk about... Let's talk about your journey. Let's talk about your journey and how and what Ziva is exactly. Okay. Which do you want? What's Ziva or the journey? How journey did, first. Well, yeah. How did Ziva come to be? Uh, so yeah, I was on Broadway for 10 years. Uh, had a great run. and But my last Broadway show was a chorus line, which I saw you had a photo up of it. You know, won Near the Pulitzer. Great show. But my job was to understudy three of the leads, which means you show up to the theater and you have no idea which character you're going to play. So, you know, it's like everyone's nightmare. I mean, people have nightmares about that. And that was my reality. And that anxiety of never knowing when I was going to go on led to insomnia. Couldn't sleep through the night for about 18 months, which led to me going gray at 26, 27. Was getting sick five or six times a year, injured. So living my dream and miserable. Like, Mm. thought it would be martinis with Liza at Sardis. And instead I'm rocking myself in fetal position, listening to Eckhart Tolle on repeat underneath my dressing room table. And wait, like, what's wrong with rocking yourself listening to Eckhart Tolle? <laughs> <laughs> well, just, you know, just, just normalize that. You feel like that's your last resort. Okay, as opposed to I, mean, choosing. He was, I was basically using him like vodka shots. So yeah. just like, you know, his voice is so soothing. Oh, it's oh, right to sleep. I've done that. And, uh, I was using him like drugs. I was using his voice like, like Xanax or something. Um, and anyway, it was confusing because I really did believe since I was a little girl that once I got on Broadway, that my whole life would be amazing. Like I just thought once I got on Broadway, I won't have any problems anymore. And then lo and behold, three weeks after I got my Broadway debut it was the saddest I'd ever been because I realized I was more interested in the happiness of pursuit than I was a pursuit of happiness, you know? And so... Anyway, long story short, this amazing Australian woman was sitting next to me in the dressing room. She was understudying five of the lead roles, including Cassie, if you know the show, and crushing every song, every dance, every bite of food this woman ate. She'd be like, oh, this is sensational. And, uh, you know, and I was like, oh, well, she's just happy because she's an Aussie. And then 
And then I was like, no, this is extra. And so I said, what do you know that I don't know? And she said, I meditate. I rolled my eyes. I didn't believe her. Just kept going gray, having insomnia and sucking at my job. And then finally, I thought I got to try something. So I went along to this intro talk. I liked what I heard. I signed up for this class. On the first day of my first class, I was meditating. To be honest, I didn't know what that meant. This was 11 years ago, but I was in a different state of consciousness than I had ever been in. And I liked it. That night, I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months. I then did not get sick for eight and a half years. I stopped going gray. I'm 40 now. I have like three gray hairs. I was legitimately going gray in my 20s. I started enjoying my job again. And so I just thought, why does everyone not do this? And so I left Broadway, went to India, started what became a three-year training process to teach. I was not in India for those full three years. I'm not that hardcore, but my teaching was pretty hardcore. I mean, it was thousands of hours of apprenticing, 18 hours a week just of meditation. Was it like Vipassana or what No, was, it was not Vipassana. But what I have was the done, class that you went to? I have done Vipassana, which I highly recommend, but Vipassana is more like psychic surgery. It's like you're going away and you are, you are doing psychic surgery on yourself. It's yeah. great if you're going through a divorce or a midlife crisis. I mean, it's 10 hours a day. It's very monastic, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so mine is more like the, the style that I learned and that I then built Ziva on top of is more of a householder practice, meaning it's made for people with busy minds and busy lives. It's not a derivation of something that was made for monks, which even headspace, right? Like Andy's so awesome. His voice is so sexy, but he was a monk. So he's taken these monk practices and made them more palatable. Whereas what I was learning, even though it's 6,000 years old, was made for people like us, householders versus monks. Mm-hmm. Um, so the training was pretty intense. Um, you know, 18 hours a week of meditation, and transcribing books by hand in Sanskrit, lots of hours of apprenticing, helping thousands of people move through. And then I graduated and started Ziva. So we have a brick and mortar studio in Soho. Maybe it's near your acupuncturist. Mm. And uh, and we then, we then created the world's first online meditation training. It was before Headspace, it was before Oprah Chopra, but it was me cobbling things together with some, you know, tooth floss and some chewing gum. <laughs> no tech skills, just a BFA in musical theater <laughs> trying to create a tech platform. <laughs> um, and so it took a little while to get it going. Um, but now that um, the book, my, my first book came out in February of last year. It's called Stress Less, Accomplish More. And that's really kind of gotten the engine going. So the company has tripled in the past year. And now I've taught over 20,000 people and it's been such an exciting journey. Nice. Mm-hmm. Wait, so what was yeah, the original what was the original class that you went to that your Aussie friend suggested? What so was the style? She had learned with someone, but there was a teacher who was based in London who was coming to New York and he was running a four-day class. His name is Michael. So, so fancy and Indian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I really loved that course. And so I wanted to learn more. And so I went to India and and I started, I just did like a 10 day retreat, not Vipassana, even though it was 10 days, but I was studying the Upanishads. So the Upanishads are basically a sacred collection of poems, but the only thing that makes something an Upanishad is that the theme of the poem is oneness, which is one of the most beautiful concepts from the Vedas, which is there's only one thing and we're all it. Um, and then I was just teaching meditation for like the first six years of my career. And then in 2016 or 17 is when I created the Ziva Technique. Mm -hmm. So that's what I teach now, which is a trifecta, as you know, of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. We're going to get into all that. Yeah. Did Mm -hmm. you have another question? I was just thinking how that would be an amazing play. 
<laughs> musical. Oh my God. Well, all the poems like pulls it's sort of like cats, right? I yeah. mean, it's just this sort of like bizarre. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, maybe yes. it's some uh, next project. Well, I for do you. actually think, you know, now that American or Western audiences are into Game of Thrones, you know, we mm-hmm. could hold that many storylines. If you've ever read, you know, the Bhagavad Gita is one chapter from the Mahabharata, which is this, you know, massive you know, it's like Iliad Odyssey type story. Yeah. And I feel like we were, we're ready now as a civilization for something like that, mm-hmm. like a grand, sprawling, yeah. epic tale. Yeah. And I, I think the Mahabharata would be a cool one. It's interesting that you say because of Game of Thrones. I think that's totally true though. We're, we're just able to digest content. We, we have access to it differently now and we're able to absorb it differently. Mm-hmm. So we can stay with a series for nine, 10 seasons and mm-hmm. keep track of all the characters and the time periods and all that. So yeah. You ladies could be onto something here. Dear HBO, we've got an idea for you. <laughs> I mean, oh God, it would be funny. Well, and yoga is also founded on the Upanishads, right? I mean, and yoga and meditation kind of go. Yeah, so they're all hand. born out of the Vedas. So V-E-D-A, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of the root of what I was... So when you guys were asking what I what I learned originally, it's all born out of the Vedas. Mm-hmm. And Veda is a Sanskrit word, which means knowledge. Knowledge of what? Basically knowledge of nature. It's not a religion. It's not a doctrine. It's not a dogma. It's the Vedas are a human interpretation of natural law. It's like, hey, this is the way nature is working. You can either get in flow with that. You can either help, let nature help you get to where you want to go, or you can be rigidly attached to how you think life should show up and let nature bash you against the rocks. Mm-hmm. And so it's not telling you what to do. It's not, you should do this, no commandments. It's just, hey, nature's flowing in this direction. Mm-hmm. If you'd like it to help you, you might want to act in accordance with that. And so yoga, acupuncture, feng shui, Ayurveda, Ayurveda yeah. you know, meditation, a lot of these ancient systems of healing are born out of the Vedas. That was on my baby name list, by the way. Veda. For a girl. Yeah. Actually, one of my friends just named her his daughter Veda, and he said it was inspired by her interview. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> it's such a great name. Yeah, yeah it's not it more is. popular. Um, anyway. So, so let's talk about yeah. this trifecta because okay. that's what I feel like makes... Oh, so I remembered that I also experimented a little bit with TM and then uh, One Giant Mind was the other app that I used and actually really liked that one. Yeah. Um, and I met Johnny at a panel thing and he was very cool. Yeah, he's lovely. Um, and I still... I have another question about that. I still use some of his music for my Ziva, which I know is a little bit debate, you know, up for debate. But, but what I found interesting about the Ziva is the, is the trifecta. And you very specifically say that it's meditation and mindfulness and manifesting, which we can get to later. But can you, can you break down what the difference is? Because I think that that's still a big source of mystery and confusion and people hear meditation and they think, you know, it's one thing and one thing only. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's the 10% happier guy or it's the, you know, it, so... Well, there's, these- a, there's a meditation studio in the city called Mindful. Right. Which makes it even more confusing. Right. So. And even to really, really throw a monkey wrench in there, the co-founder of that is a student of mine. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. The guy or the girl? Um, the girl. Oh, okay. I yeah. met her, yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, we're all like a big happy family. And a lot of us were, you know, trained in similar lineages or, um, you know, have been friends for a long time. Because when I started teaching, this is about almost 10 years ago, there weren't 
like Mindful wasn't around, Inkscape wasn't around, Headspace wasn't launched. There was no big quiet, like none of this stuff existed. So it was just like the monks and me. Right. <laughs> My husband would not introduce me at, at cocktail parties as a meditation teacher because he was embarrassed and thought it was weird. Yeah. Now he won't introduce me at cocktail parties because he knows he'll never see me again. Because right. everyone's like, wait, I want to know more about meditation. <laughs> so it's so fascinating and awesome how quickly the transformation has happened. Um, but so you're right. When we hear the word meditation, we kind of throw all eyes closed practices in this in this one umbrella. And so I think that as it's becoming more popular, it behooves us to be specific with our vernacular. And I would define mindfulness as the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment, which is beautiful and necessary, especially in this day and age when most of us are bulimic of the brain and we just got intake, intake, intake happening digitally. Technique-wise, mindfulness is more where you are directing your focus. So I'm focusing on my breath. I'm counting my breath. I'm I'm visualizing my chakras. I'm imagining a waterfall. Anytime someone's guiding you through something, I would put that in the category of mindfulness. Mindfulness is very good at getting rid of your stress in the now. Like my my boss yelled at me, I got stressed. Let Let me do 10 minutes of my app. It's a state change. It's dealing with your stress in the now. This is very different from the meditation portion of Ziva, which is all about getting rid of your stress from the past. It's giving your body rest that's deeper than sleep. You are de-exciting your nervous system, which creates cellular healing. You're also giving your body rest that is five times deeper than sleep, which is not an insignificant point because when you give your body the rest that it needs, it knows how to heal itself, right? You go to the doctor, you're sick, they say rest. Interestingly, when you're giving your body this deep rest, it's healing itself not only from your stress from today, like mindfulness, but it's also getting rid of that stress from the past, the stuff that we have been storing in our cellular and now we even know in our epigenetic memory. And so we're not just cleaning out our own set stress, we're cleaning out everything we've inherited from our parents and at least our grandparents. There is some science suggesting that we're inheriting it from two to three generations. Mm-hmm. There's some saying yeah. seven. I can't find the papers on seven generations, but I have heard Ricardo Sabatini speak on it. He was one of the scientists who helped decode the human genome. He was part of the CRISPR operation. So as soon as I can find those papers, I will share them. But for now, I, I've only been able to prove in with my own eyeballs three generations. But that's still, but still yeah, enormous. Like, so yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think that the impact of what that really means is, is not to be missed. Yeah, it's really not to be missed. So, you know, think about if your mom you know, was drinking martinis and smoking cigarettes when she was pregnant with you, like a lot of people were in the 60s Perhaps. and 70s. Yeah. <laughs> or, and if that's, and that's, you know, on the easy end of stress and trauma, maybe she moved, maybe there was, you know, domestic abuse, maybe there was socioeconomic stress, maybe there was a time of famine. Um, well, we look at grandparents and great-grandparents and you talk about the Holocaust, that's mm-hmm. not insignificant yeah. You at look all. at the Holocaust, you look at descend, American descendants of slaves, like this is not insignificant, the amount of severe trauma that we've had in our pretty recent past, specifically in America. Um, and so it's it's basically giving you a blueprint. So this is not meant to scare people or stress people out more, but we are born with a blueprint for our health. The good news here is that we are the architect. And when they did decode the human genome a few years ago, what we discovered is we, like I was part of it, I was not part of that, um, <laughs> is that the human genome is like a 100-page book. And it's only the last five pages of the book, which are your genes. The first 95 pages of the book are your epigenetics. And those are like light switches and they're turning on or off 
your actual five pages of genes. And so this is great news because it means that 95% of your genetic expression is malleable. It's mutable. It's changeable. So this means that every time you have a juice, every time you have a tea, every time you go to acupuncture, every time you meditate, every time you have sex, every time you're in the sunshine or exercising, you're turning on the healthy gene expression. And conversely, every time you don't do those things, every time you don't act in accordance with nature, you're turning on the less healthy expression of the gene. So, you know, I'm not a geneticist. I'm not a scientist. So I'm probably making some minor errors there, but the the holistic picture is is sound uh, in that we are born with a blueprint that we are inheriting for at least two, possibly seven generations. And that's not fixed. We get to be the architect. You might be handed a blueprint for a two-story house and you might say, you know, F this, I want to make a three-story house. So we are the people that get to construct our, our health, but we have to take into account the blueprint that we've been born with. Mm-hmm. And the way to tie this back to meditation is that specifically what the meditation portion of Ziva is doing is that it's not just creating a state change, it's creating a trait change. It is healing you on a cellular pre-verbal level. It is going in and getting rid of all that stuff that we've been storing in our body. So every Taco Bell you've ever eaten, every all-nighter you've ever pulled, every Chardonnay, and what was the veritable you said? What was the grape? Nebbiolo. Oh, that's Nebbiolo. 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 You like Martini's here too. You know, Martini's, <laughs> it's all fun and great, but it's leaving. And every time you've been in a car accident or a breakup or been fired from a job, you know, it's left a little open window on your brain computer. And by the time the average adult is 20 years old, we have about 10 million of those open windows on our brain machine. Oh my God. My husband's always like, why do you have so many windows open on your computer? And I can only imagine now how many are still or open, open on your brain. brain. Like, it's a yeah. mirror for my actual brain, darling. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is the trauma that's going on back here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so what meditation does is, so because we need to be able to run the computer, because we have to be present and and operate our lives, what we do is we minimize all those windows. We minimize that stress. We minimize that trauma and we sort of pretend that it's not there. We never really feel it. Most of us are not equipped to feel or process the intensity of the things that we deal with. And so what meditation does is that it, it maximizes that window so that we can click X and get rid of it forever. And once it's gone, it's never coming back. Now, are you gonna have new stresses, new demands, new windows? Of course, but the more resilient you are, the less permanent those windows are. It's like you just, it starts to be like water off a duck's back versus being imprinted and you holding on to it. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. I um I saw an osteopath recently and he's the first person to kind of bring, I mean, I, ha- I had a general idea just from some previous work that we did, how stuff gets passed down through generations. And he, yeah, he explained it sort of the way that you are in the sort of like seven generations. He was talking about, he was like touching my tailbone or something. And he's like, it was very stuck, stuck in this sort of tucked position. And um, I was like, why, is, why, why was my tailbone stuck? I mean, these are the most subtle, like I would ever know, but him. And he was like, uh, you know, very casually in his French accent, was just like, it could have been trauma from your mother, your grandmother. <laughs> and I was like, well, how so? And he's like, well, if you think about what you do when you're in fear, Right, if you're fearful, you kind of tuck your tailbone. He's sort of sort of like a dog with its tail between its legs, mm-hmm. and so you're kind of on some level walking around like with t- your tail between your legs. He's like, so I'm just going to. Boop. And did it, did you feel a shift? Did it change things? For I've you? actually I've seen him about seven or eight times, and it, he that's how he works. It's all these sort of mechanical links, and there are all these different areas that he's very gradually. I mean, just like the lightest touch. But it's ultimately, yes, he's trying to like shift 
this energy or, you know, whatever has been passed down that's been stored in your body and it's affecting like either your posture, my diaphragm was stuck, um, things like that. But he, you know, why did that happen? Like, why is my diaphragm stuck? Why is my tailbone slightly tucked? Um, and he, he linked it back to that sort of exact explanation. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. And um, I didn't feel like a grand shift at the end of it. It was a little bit more like gradual, but um, I did feel a shift. Um, the interesting thing about these types of like body work or practices, like, from, you know, acupuncture to meditation is that it's not so tangible, right? I mean, it's really hard to explain to people like what's happening mm-hmm. or what you should feel or what like re- to manage expectations, I guess, around it. It's like, to convince people to try and you know do acupuncture, which I think is super powerful, it's similar to meditation. It's like, well, there's nothing. You're not going to walk out of there and be like, I feel like a light switch has just been turned on. Right. Although um, it can happen. I mean, I think can, the first time moments, I had it, yeah, for sure. you have moments. Yes. Like I had a very, very deep, intense, amazing acupuncture yeah. experience one time and I came out of there and I felt legitimately, I felt like I had just like, I, I don't even know. I, I was elated and euphoric in like a very fascinating, yeah, strange sure. way. And it didn't happen every time. But to your point, like you do feel that there's like that micro progress and there's like some gradual improvements, yeah. you know, a little bit of time. And same experience with with meditation. I felt like one time that I went to Inscape and sat in the studio, that room, I mean, it's beautiful and it's so intense that like you can't come out of there with nothing being shifted. But it didn't happen, you know, subsequent times. And with this, I think that I mean, I think that's why I actually like that it's twice a day. It's like sometimes in the morning, I'm like, okay, that was a few minutes that maybe I could do a little bit better. And then I have another opportunity in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this comes back to my sort of uh, slogan, my theme song at Ziva is that we meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes you won't enjoy the sitting. Oftentimes you do have a lifetime of stress and trauma and annoyance and fatigue and rage coming up and out during the sitting. And you do it anyway, Mm -hmm. because then your whole life gets better. And that is dramatic. Mm. It's not a light switch, but I've taught 20,000 people and like their insomnia goes away. They Mm -hmm. stop biting their nails. They stop drinking. They stop drinking coffee. Their IBS goes away. They start, their sex drive comes back. They start their period. They get, they're able to have kids at 42 when they were infertile before. Right. Like people with Parkinson's, their tremors stop. Like their migraines go away. Like it's, it's massive and it's fast and it's, it's anecdotal so far. We're currently doing a study with George Washington University, but it's not like if you do it actually every day, twice a day, it's not a light switch, but it's, you know, you like, yeah. people are like, well, what should well, I wear? Should I get like a body data? My, I'm like, I don't need a body data monitoring device to tell me that my whole effing life is better. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. I know it's hard because we're as a culture right now, so fixated on measurable output and, you know, between our Fitbits and everything else and tracking our progress. And, you know, so it's, it's hard to speak to that. It's hard to tell somebody like that to just trust the process. Right. And I, and I think I, you know, I tell people like that to keep, I'm like, please get your data. Please send me your data. Check your sleep before and after. Give it to me. And then you don't have to trust the process because the data will tell you. Right. But I personally don't need the data because I can feel my own body and I see the shifts. But I love it when biohackers come and take the class Mm -hmm. because I'm like, please send me your data. And then I get before and after sleep charts and sex charts. and It's fun. That's awesome. Yeah. And there's, um, I I feel like I tell this story all the time, but it's so applicable. I mean, to 
compare it again to acupuncture where people are like, I don't know if it's doing anything. Right. You know, and it's usually just anecdotal. There's um, an acupuncturist uh, that I went to go see once who started out pre-med and she, as part of her round, she had to do something. I don't know. She had to like do something with animals basically. So she she found herself on this farm. This is like 30 years ago. And the veterinarians who were on site were practicing acupuncture on the animals. Mm. And so she was just intrigued. And she's like, what are you doing? Sticking all these needles in this horse. You know, it had a bum knee and it literally like after a session got up and just started walking. And she was seeing that over and over again through animals who obviously don't lie. Um, The proof is just like very visible. Uh, And so that was like a big turning point for her and she became an acupuncturist. But it's, but it's those things where you're like, oh yeah, this shit does work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and interestingly, so like acupuncture, at least the Chinese and Japanese f- form of it, like there is, it's called marma, which is the sort of like Ayurvedic branch of, it's like the predecessor to acupuncture. It's mm-hmm. acu, or sorry, yeah, it's a predecessor to acupuncture and it would be an Ayurvedic form of acupressure. Mm -hmm. It's called marma and it's touch point therapy. And you're going in and you're touching, putting a lot of pressure on different energetic meridians, like different points on the body. And that's how acupuncture works is by unblocking those, the chi and the meridians. And so the cool thing about this style of meditation is through no effort of your own, without you needing someone else to needle you or you having to touch yourself, this style of meditation does go in and unblock all those energetic meridians. So I've had people with massive spinal injuries and like their their heads will start moving in a circle during the meditation or people with like uh, pianists where their mm-hmm. hands will start vibrating and, and tingling. And it's like the body knows how to heal itself. Mm-hmm. And all we have to do is A, give it rest and B, help it to unblock these energetic channels. So a very similar phenomenon is happening. So I actually don't recommend that my students meditate. I mean, once they learn how to meditate and they have a practice and a technique, I recommend that they don't do that on the acupuncture table because as you experienced, there's very real energetic things happening. Like the needles have their own juju. They're unblocking that, those energetic meridians and meditation has its own juju. So I'm you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not because it sounds like you haven't been trained in meditation like you haven't actually done a training in meditation yet. No. Okay, so you're enjoying the benefits of all the healing properties that are happening during acupuncture, which is great. Enjoy that. Right. I would just say, don't then also put meditation on top of that. Um, like if, if you were to learn and get a technique and tools and and get a meditation practice, you would do meditation and acupuncture separately. You wouldn't do them at the same time. Right. Too much, too much juju. juju. Too much juju. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you can't cross juju. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'm in no way trying to invalidate what's happening. I'm saying no, acupuncture no, no. is really powerful. Yeah. That's healing in its own way. Meditate, meditation will heal in its own way. Right. And you can just let them be separate healing mechanisms. Yeah. Got it. Good to know. I will keep that shit sorted. Should we talk about, I mean, so I, I feel like one thing that's very, I don't know, trendy maybe right now is TM. Mm-hmm. Has been for a bit. Like, can you just explain the difference between what you're doing and transcendental meditation? Sure. So a lot of people think that transcendental meditation or TM is a style of meditation, but it's actually the name of a company. <laughs> you know how um, people think, like in the, I'm Southern, so Coke is sort of ubiquitous for soda. Right. You know, you go into a place in the South and be like, do you want a Coke? We're like, yeah, what do you want? Coke or Sprite? So they're using Coke as soda. Right. Yes. Or right. like and- Kleenex. Kleenex, Tampax, you know, (laughs) like we use the, we've calling the thing, the brand. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually the name of a particular company and they've done a lot of great work. They've taught millions of people to meditate. I think we all owe them a debt of gratitude. It was founded by a really amazing teacher, uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And 
they are teaching uh, just meditation there. I've never, I'm not affiliated with them. I've never trained there, but they are teaching. But I know I've had a few hundred people take TM and then come join the Ziva community. And they are teaching meditation exclusively. What mm-hmm. I teach at Ziva is mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. There are some similarities between the Ziva, the, the, sorry, the meditation portion of the Ziva technique and TM in that they are both. Um, non-directed focus styles of meditation. They are both uh, like a self-induced transcendence type of meditation. They're not focusing. They're not derivative from monastic practices. Mm -hmm. For the first six years of my career, I was teaching exclusively meditation. And I realized I had a pretty powerful discovery that meditation alone is not enough for a few reasons. One, it can usher you into pretty high states of consciousness very quickly. And I don't know how woo-woo we want to get Let's here. Let's get woo-woo. Okay. I want to get there. <laughs> <Do it. laughs> um, but even though it's a grounding technique, it can sort of open up this crown chakra. It can very much connect you with universal energy. Um, but oftentimes without clearing all the other energetic blockages in the body. Like you've probably heard of or seen the chakra system mm-hmm. and... So all we're doing is going up towards enlightenment, towards transcendence, towards universal consciousness, but we're not clearing out all the trauma, all the sadness, all the darkness, all the shadow along the way, then what you end up with is some wounded people in very high states of consciousness. And we're seeing that Mm. play out right now in the fall of the guru. I mean, watch the Bikram documentary, watch Wild Wild Country. I mean, it seems Mm -hmm. like every day there's another guru who's like being outed for massive... um, let's just call it bad behavior in whatever way that that manifests itself. And so I started, and so that's one sort of more philosophical piece of it. But then I started interviewing a lot of my friends and students because I was like, why is the world filled with ex-meditators? People who have started and quit, started something and quit. Mm. And I don't understand how anyone could get the keys to the kingdom and put them down. Like, this is the thing you're looking for. This is the thing that's going to give you access to your bliss and fulfillment in the only place that it resides, which is inside of you. How you get that and then choose to stop is a effing mystery to Mm -hmm. me. And so I, I had to understand. So I started doing deep dive surveys with both people who had not yet learned and people who had learned and quit. And I, I figured out two things. One, that the people, the reason why people are not starting is that they think they don't have time. Right. And you probably hear this eight times a day. I don't have time to go to acupuncture. I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to cook my own food. I don't have time to meditate. And with meditation specifically, usually what they're saying is, I'm not getting a return on my time investment, which is kind of what you guys, well, it's, 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 it's hard to tangible. convince someone because they're not seeing massive return on their investment. Mm-hmm. Right. None of us have time to waste. Now, I would say none of us even have time to spend. Mm-hmm. All of us have time to invest. And there's a big difference there. Are you spending your time on meditation? That's a tweetable moment, I think. Let's say that again. I like it. Yeah. None of us have time to spend. All of us have time to invest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and that's an an important distinction here is that with this style of meditation, you are getting a massive return on your investment. For the few minutes a day that you're putting into Ziva meditation, your sleep is going to become more efficient. You will likely need less of it. You will get sick less often. You will have more creativity, more serendipity, your immune system will be stronger. So you'll get sick less often. Like there are some very practical, quick ROIs that you're going to get with your time investment. And I think that that's an important distinction versus a lot of the derivations of monastic practices, which have become so popular, like a lot of the apps that we were talking about earlier, 
it's creating a state change, but not a trait change. So it's dealing with your stress in the now, but it's not really getting to the root cause. Mm-hmm. It's not closing down all those windows that are making you stupid, sick, and slow. So you are not increasing your cognitive performance by just doing mindfulness. Right. And it's almost intrinsic in the explanation of it. The mindfulness is all about the present moment. Mm-hmm. So to your point, it's actually, it's better to address the present moment you know, actively than not at all. Yes. So you're doing some of it, mm-hmm. but yeah. So if you're only in the moment, then you're never getting to the root cause, which actually is kind of equivalent to, you know, taking um, an Advil for a headache instead yes. of finding out why you get headaches in the first place. That's exactly right. And, and not to be pejorative about mindfulness because I no, think it's a really all. valuable tool, mm-hmm. but it is a state change. I have a headache. Let me take an aspirin. I feel better in the now versus the meditation piece because it's going to the root cause of why are you getting headaches in the first place? Debbie mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Please not just call this, please title this podcast. Nebbiolo. I want to call it the monks and me. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> I've already thought about it. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, um, so, so that's the first piece. People think they don't have time, but largely if that's happening, they're not, they're only doing mindfulness. And then the other reason why people were starting and quitting, they would say the story they had themselves was, I'm too busy. I don't have time. But when I went a bit deeper, when I was like, what's underneath that? Really what was happening was a fear of feeling their emotions. Mm-hmm. So when you go in and heal this stuff from your past, well, guess what? <laughs> You know, if you've got some sadness inside, you might have some sadness coming up and out. If you have some rage inside, you might have some rage coming up and out. And who wants to feel their feelings? <sighs> There's billions of industries built on top of ensuring that we never have to feel our feelings. And the meditation makes that non-negotiable. So there is a price to pay for this. Like you will have to walk through the fire. You will have a period of mental and, and physical detoxification, likely. But that is the very healing mechanism that is allowing you to perform at the top of your game on the other side of that catharsis. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this is why I created the Ziva technique. So the mindfulness we use in two ways. One, because it gives you something to do on the way to that deep healing, restful surrender that is the meditation. So for my control freaks, my type A folks who are doing, 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 it's a phase transition into that deep surrendered being. The other way that we use mindfulness, which I think is really important, is as a tool when that catharsis happens. If you start an emotional and physical purge, the mindfulness is a great tool to have to help you feel it fully in the moment and then move through to the new now, which is different than what a lot of um, companies are doing, which is kind of just like ignoring it. Be like, well, don't worry about that. That's just that's just unstressing or that's just detox. Don't worry about it. We'll just go eye on the prize. We're just going to go upward, upward, upward. And I think this is actually a very feminine quality that I'm bringing to this. It's like so feeling your emotions. Yeah. I was just thinking about maybe, I was like, oh, the only time I've actually really meditated was probably when I was getting ready to give birth. Mm. And it was so much practice leading up to that because I was like, for my second pregnancy, I was like, I am, this baby's coming out of my vagina. No one is, this is how it's going to happen. And I'm not taking drugs. And so I was like really focused on um, this like, whatever, breathing technique. Um, Were you doing hypnobirthing or? Yeah. Hypno babies or hypnobirthing? Uh, hypno birthing. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was so, um, it's so similar to how you're describing it because it's just like, I mean, I remember telling my doula, just get me to the point of no return. <laughs> but I was like, um, what did that mean for you? It just meant like, it's surrender, right? So yeah. you have to just get to the point where you're like, <gasps> like, there's no turning back. Like, I can't, you know, you just have to feel the thing. Yeah, And you're just so in it and you have to use the tools at your disposal, which is just like breath and a lot of 
you know, um, imagery. So it was really powerful. Yeah. And I, I, I liken that, I think, to this style or how you're describing yeah. this right now. It's there, just like, oh man, there's so much fear wrapped up in this. I could very easily take an epidural because I don't want to feel the feelings. Like, I don't want to feel the thing. But it was like, okay, if you could just like accept that it's going to happen and that you can like breathe through it and use whatever like imagery, you know, you can. Um, it was kind of amazing. And to use one of your phrases, better out than in. <laughs> yeah, so it was also very true get that baby during out. labor. Yeah, better. better out than in. <laughs> so that's one of the things that I have. I have this nerdy theme song in Ziva Online. So that's in our online training where I sing. I'm like, better out than in. Oh, better out than in. Uh-uh, better out than in. Because it's it, we've been trained like, shh, don't cry. Don't cry, right. have a cookie. Don't cry, have a bottle. Don't don't feel sad, have some Facebook. Don't feel lonely, have some Instagram. Don't feel fat, have some Spanx. Like, don't feel, don't feel, don't feel. Right. And yet the meditation makes the feeling non-negotiable. And right. in birth, especially if you're choosing to have a vaginal non-medicated birth, if, if that's your preference, then the feeling is non-negotiable. Right. And also the surrender is non-negotiable. And so it was all about that surrender. Man. Yeah. And that's that's what I teach. People think they're coming to me to me- learn to meditate. I don't teach meditation. I teach people how to surrender. Yeah. And that, and that when you're talking about these type A personalities who are like, I can't sit still. I have all this stuff to do, blah, blah, blah. I don't know that I fall into that category. <laughs> she darts her eyes right. across the room. <laughs> I, all right. May, well, I'll probably have something there are different wrong. ways of classifying type A. Okay. But yeah. I, I'm some weird version of type A, I guess. But anyway, talking through this sort of approach with my dual, it was very funny because she was like, the, the, the type of person who does the best with this is a type A because sometimes they instead of instead of trying to control it they somehow know that the only way to control it is to surrender completely surrender control and it was such an interesting like shift for me and i i i don't know i think about that often and it's like very applicable in other areas of life but it's like yeah sometimes the ultimate expression of control is to just completely give up all control well, this, I mean, you're speaking my language because this is literally what I do all day, every day is that I give people this little tiny microcosm of what it feels like to surrender with their eyes closed in the chair. And the less effort you use, the more gentle you are, the more your body treats you and rewards you with dopamine and serotonin, which mm-hmm. are bliss chemicals. So you're like, oh, I like this surrender thing. And the better you get at surrendering with your eyes closed, the more you can start to surrender with your eyes open. Mm-hmm. And that's really where we're moving is to where you feel this dance with nature, to where you feel connected to nature, guided by nature and that you are every act is a surrender of how does nature want to use me in this moment and that doesn't have to be a religious practice it can be whatever you define as nature or universal consciousness but it's it's letting go of the idea that i have to do this alone with my left brain ego small self mm-hmm. which is opposed to evolution a not that effective b and exhausting c so once you start to see that there's this whole other hemisphere of our brain which is the right brain which is the piece that is connected to nature it is connected to creativity itself it is the place that downloads our ideas and our intuition and that's what we're taking to the gym when we meditate and and over time in the beginning it's a pendulum swing so even for type a folks they get a little like whoa like a little foggy for a hot second but then the the brain starts firing on all cylinders right and left hemispheres of the brain are really lighting up and the corpus callosum strengthens which is the thin white piece of like white matter that connects the two hemispheres mm-hmm. of the brain that thing thickens over time as you meditate so that your 
individuality and your totality can speak to each other. Your masculine and feminine can start to really cross-pollinate. The stress and the bliss can start to be on online simultaneously. It's fascinating. It really is. I mean, and so obviously 20,000 people under your belt in, in this conversation and everybody is, has a slightly different experience, I imagine. But if you... So I'm five weeks in. That's what we determined. So where should I be right now in my in my journey? And as I confess, I've done every day, twice a day with the exception of like one Saturday I missed an afternoon and three times on vacation. Okay. So vacation <laughs> and weekends are the toughest. A lot of people think I'm going on vacation. I'll meditate all the time. Nope. It's harder to meditate when you have no structure and no time. I actually think it's easier to do when you put it into your calendar and you have some structure in your day, even if you're really, really busy. So I think rather than asking where should you be, I'd like to find out where you are. Like, what do you feel like has shifted for you? If you think back to five weeks ago, the day before you started Ziva Online, you know, how was your sleep, immune system, stress levels? Um, oh, wait, before you answer that, mm-hmm. can I just, because I think it's interesting, because this is to further clarify, this is not an app. Oh, thank you. So it's not an app, meaning that it's not like an addiction-based model. Like I'm not interested in people being tethered to their phone for their meditation practice. It's right. sort of like having an AA meeting in a liquor store to me. Right. Um, like I don't point. know about you guys, but if I'm using my phone, analogy, my yes. watch is gone and I have to use my phone as a timer or something, I, not an alarm, but a clock. I don't like alarms. But anyway, it's like, oh, well, 20 minutes just went by and now I did a lot of DMing and Instagramming and text messaging, but I didn't actually meditate. Right. Um, so Ziva Online is a 15-day online training. It's a matriculation. Each day builds upon the previous day. And by the time you graduate, you have the mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting to take with you for life. You don't right. need me anymore. So you're on your computer, you're on your laptop. You're on your computer, or you, I mean, you could do it on your phone. It's mobile, it is mobile right. responsive. But the idea is that we're just giving you the keys to the kingdom and the driving instructions via the technology, and then you're self-sufficient for life. Right, right. So you are are learning, you're sitting down, you're watching these video, yeah, videos, or you're listening mm-hmm. to audios, yeah. but you're not tethered to your device in the way yeah. that you would be. Right. It's more of like a point. true lesson, right? Yeah. So it's um, a school, it's a training. Right. And so, right. So to get back to what I, why I wanted to pause, because I, so many of these apps are very specific with what they want to focus on. So you were asking Erica whether her, you know, where is she feeling a shift? Is it like anxiety or sleep or whatever it is? You know, like so many of these apps, it's like, um, you know, under calm, it's like hmm, you scroll through all these different ailments or issues right, or right. whatever it is, and you can sort of select meditation by um, whatever the issue is. So I, today I want to meditate on anxiety, or maybe the next day I want to meditate on um, you loving know, kindness, whatever. whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, loving kindness. Let's I listen one. to that one a lot. <laughs> um, but <laughs> so, is there a similar like? Is there a similar approach in that you can kind of tailor it to say like... No, not at all. No, okay. That's very much the medicine cabinet. That's like, I have a headache. I'm going to take the aspirin. I can't sleep. I'm going to take the sleeping pill. That's the state change. It is not at all the philosophy that I subscribe to. I want to give you the keys to the kingdom, the keys to the car and the driving instruction, because I'm going to give you a tool that's going to go in and de-excite your nervous system so that your body can heal the root cause of whatever ailment stress is causing. Right. Because... If again, if you're just using the medicine cabinet analogy, it's it's treating the symptom, which is very much like Western medicine, because we've taken these ancient tools and made them more Western. We've made them more palatable, which is fine. This is again, I'm not trying to insult other things, but I think it's really important to highlight the distinction. Yeah. Because 
treating the symptom is very different than going to the root cause. Yeah. Just like with Parsley Health, you know, it's a functional medicine. They're looking at the holistic system. Mm-hmm. They're going to the root cause versus like, oh, you have a skin issue. Let's put some cream on your skin. They're like, no, you're inflamed because you're eating dairy and gluten. Let's stop eating dairy and gluten. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, you know, your headaches, your lack of sex drive, your overwhelm, your fatigue, your burnout, your yeah, infertility, like these things are symptoms of an underlying cause, which is stress. Mm-hmm. And what Ziva does is that it gets rid of your stress, not only from today, like the mindfulness, which is the apps, it's getting rid of the stress from the past. It mm-hmm. is a, annihilating the root cause. Now that takes time. Yeah. It's, you know, it's many years before we've eradicated the entire backlog of stresses, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm promising. You do this every day, twice a day, we're getting rid of the entire backlog of stresses you've ever accumulated in your whole life. Yeah, I love that. So you're literally opening the door. It's like a with the practice cleanse for your soul. And then your body is going to face. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Cross mark. Um, too bad we don't get anything from that anymore. Um, yes. So once you open that door, you have this tool, you have this practice, and then just your body will organically figure out where it needs to go and what it needs to focus on to heal. Mm-hmm. Because you don't tell it. That's right. Because you're inducing, basically you're inducing a verifiable fourth state of consciousness. And it's different than waking, different than sleeping, different than dreaming. And in this state of consciousness, the right and left hemispheres of the brain are functioning in unison, which is why the corpus callosum strengthens. You're also giving your body that rest that's five times deeper than sleep. Yeah. And and the reason why I keep bringing that up is because that it is that deep restful mechanism that induces the healing. Right, like that. When just like when you go to sleep at night, you're not saying, "Okay, in this sleep, I want to deal with my anxiety in this sleep," or "I'd really love to wake up more loving and kind in the morning." You're just lay down and you sleep, and then the body knows how to heal itself. Exactly. Well, same thing is happening in this style of meditation. The body knows how to heal itself. You're not necessarily directing it. However, that does come into play with the manifesting, which is like the dessert course of Ziva. Oh, right. We didn't so, get into- so we got the appetizer, which is mindfulness. Then you move into the main course, which is this restful, surrendered meditation. Thank you for putting it in terms I can finally understand. I'm like, talk to me in terms. Like, where's the cheese plate? Like That's all we need to know. Okay. <laughs> is there a wine pairing we can have on these courses? <laughs> um, so then you end with the, with the dessert, which is manifesting. And I define manifesting as consciously creating a life you love. It's you getting intentional about what you want your life to look like. So it's, and really I I only invite people to ask one very simple, but very profound question. And that is, what would I love right now? And that might sound ridiculously simple because it is, but there's a lot of magic in this question. So when you say, what would I love? That puts you into spirit. It puts you into possibility. What would I love right now? What do I want now? Not what was my goal when I was 12, not what did I major in? Not what does my husband expect of me? Not mm-hmm. what's going to look good on Instagram? Not what do I need, which puts you in lack? Mm-hmm. Not what do I want, which puts you in greed? What would I love? Now? So interesting. Yeah. So very specific. And when you do that, when you start to ask that question after the meditation, when you've de-excited the nervous system, where the whole brain is lit up, where you've reminded yourself that you are God pretending to be human, then well, first we start with gratitudes. You're giving thanks for everything that is going great in your life, everything you already have manifested in your life. And you're reminding yourself of just how powerful you are. And then you ask, what would I love right now? And it's a two-way conversation. You're listening to how nature wants to use you and you're communicating to nature your desires. Because I think just like a relationship with a child, 
you know, the child has preferences and you as the parent have preferences and, and you have to communicate to each other, but it's a two-way conversation. And I sometimes like to anthropomorphize nature as a parent mm-hmm. in that it it's loving, it, it has our best interest, hopefully, you know, hopefully your parents are loving and have your best interest in mind. Um, but you get to say to your parents what you want and your parents might say, yes, honey, you can have the cookie, but we're going to have that after dinner, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a little, uh, I got a little esoteric there. But the, the simple thing of the manifesting is you start to ask better questions versus what a lot of us are asking. Instead of what would I love right now, we ask the question, why can't I lose this weight? Mm-hmm. Why don't I have a boyfriend? Why did he get a raise and I didn't? Mm-hmm. Why does she have a million followers on Instagram and I don't? And if you ask shitty questions, you're going to get shitty answers. Yeah. And so we just start to train our brain to one, look for everything that's going right, and two, start asking better questions from this very powerful space after the meditation. I think that's so, yeah, that's so critical. And I think the way that you phrased it in terms of you coming from what would I love and turning on these positive receptors as opposed to coming from lack. I mean, we talk about this a lot because I think that 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 concept, that notion of people who look at the world from a lens of abundance versus lack, there's such completely different results even if they follow exactly the the same channel. So, And I think that's a piece that I've been missing is the what would I love because I don't know that I've necessarily phrased it that way. I think that I've been doing it more in a projecting into the future of like, this is what my life looks like right now, even if it's a year from now or whatever. But it's not about what would I love. Mm-hmm. I think that actual terminology is really Right, useful. because when we think about manifesting, That's it's right. really about like, oh, visualize the future. Yeah. Like, what do you want to see in your, you know, in your future self for this, like, whatever. So yeah, it's interesting. That's, that's like... And, and the magic in manifesting really lies in imagining whatever it is that you would love, even if it is something in the future, mm-hmm. but you want to imagine that thing that you would love now as your current reality. You're getting into the feeling space as if it's happening now. What would I love now? That's right. Actually, this weekend I was in Panama. I went to this conference in Panama with like full out, full blown certified witches and wizards. Nice. Uh, it was like the OG folks in the um, <laughs> in the wellness space. I was there with like Jack Canfield and John Gray. And wow. it's the same place where they shot The Secret back in the day. Okay. So, I mean, same conference where they shot The Secret. And I'm like the youngest person in the group by like 30 years. And it was a real honor to get to hang out with these living masters, these people who've sold a billion books, these people who have the Guinness Book of World records for the most books on the New York Times bestseller list simultaneously, which is seven. And, and so there's a lot of talk of, of manifesting there because these are the people who kind of wrote the modern book on it. You know, we, we make fun of the secret now, but it is the thing that introduced these concepts into the, into the zeitgeist, into the common vernacular, at least in our generation. And um, it was fascinating to just watch the way that they live. You know, because they're not preaching this stuff anymore. They're just there to learn from each other and have fun. But watching their lives, the amount of joy on the dance floor, you know, people who had maybe lost a spouse, but were still in total bliss and were dating someone new. And it was just the amount of present moment awareness and the creative power that they were living in was was a, a masterclass. I want to, it's fine. We've really talked about this for a very long time. I know there are so many more questions to dig into. (laughs) Um, One just technical question. I mean, you make a big point of it and we've talked about it already, but the twice a day thing, Mm -hmm. specifically it's 15 minutes and it's twice a day. So why those metrics? Good question. So if you really get pedantic about it, it's 17 minutes. We've got like one minute of mindfulness. 14-ish with the meditation and then two with the manifesting. 
So the reason why that's 15, when I, when people learn with me in person, if you wanted to come and like upgrade and do the live, we would kick it up. We would do a little bit longer and you would get a more powerful mantra. But with the, the mantras online are a little bit gentler than what I can give face to face. And so I decrease the time a little bit so that it doesn't feel long or laborious. And yet you're still getting a real return on investment. But the twice a day piece is really important because I know a lot of folks that have learned in some school that has told them twice a day. And they're like, well, I do it. I do it every day. And even my students that come back, like I'm doing it every day. Um, And they're feeling proud of themselves, but also frustrated because they're not seeing the type of ROI that I've promised. And the thing about twice a day is that it's not 2X better. It's exponentially better. Because if you're only doing once a day, it's like you're picking up stress, burning off stress. You're picking up 10 units of stress, burning off 10 units of stress. Pick up 10, burn off 10. Pick up 10, burn off 10. It's like drinking a Coke and getting on a treadmill. 200 calories in, 200 calories out. You're not really changing your strength or weight or body. You're coming back to zero. Yeah, you're coming back to zero. And whereas twice a day, not only are you getting rid of all of that new stress that you've picked up, but the second meditation is where you start getting rid of the stress from the past. That's where we start to clear out those old windows on the Mm. brain computer. That's where we start to deal with the epigenetic stuff that we've inherited. And that's really where you start to see the return on time investment because it's, it's the eradication of the backlog of stresses from your past that's ushering you into higher states of cognitive performance. So by that logic, do you, I mean, is there some noticeable difference in the morning versus the afternoon experience? Like, do people say that one is more intense than the other or that one feels like you feel the de-stressing happening differently? People do report that the morning and afternoon feel different, but it's not necessarily because of the rate of stress release. It's it's usually because in the morning we're rested. You know, we slept for seven, eight, nine hours. And so the body doesn't need to use that meditation for rest. So it uses that meditation for stress release. So usually for the morning folks, it's a lot more shallow and thought-filled, like what you said. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that one was, you know, I don't really enjoy that. Maybe I need another try. <laughs> so that's why I was like, we meditate to get good at life, not to yeah. get good at meditation. So even if you hate your 15 minutes, I don't care if you enjoy the meditation or not. I care how you perform and feel the rest of your day. Right. right. Like, how are you performing 30 minutes after you meditate? I don't care if you enjoyed your meditation. I don't care mm-hmm. if you enjoyed your shower this morning. I just care that you showered. <laughs> you know, it's right. like, that's rude and gross to go right. out into the world not clean. <laughs> Same thing with meditation. You need to handle that. It's rude to go <laughs> spewing your stress around the land. <laughs> um, so... So, and then the afternoon meditation, because we've been working, thinking, taking action, we've got a hormonal dip. Usually mm-hmm. we're digesting after lunch and usually that tends to be a bit deeper, a little sleepier feeling for yeah. a lot of folks. But I notice that I feel so much more energized and that always, always, always is my time of day. That's my drag, yeah. right? Between two and four. I mean, we don't, we deliberately do not schedule conference calls between two and four because it's just like brain is done. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to go, you know, eat applesauce and color or something or in that, that time of day. I feel like I want to actually move. Like I want to uh-huh. exercise. You yeah. Know, I just feel like I have to exercise in the morning. But yeah, you yeah. feel like you need to do something different with your energy. Yeah. But after the afternoon sit, yeah. I definitely feel a difference in that like 5 to 7 p.m. window. Great. Um, so if you could do your second meditation around like 1.30, if you know your dip comes at yeah. 2, then ideally, you know, before we run out of gas, we want to go to the gas station. Yeah, it's so true. So before we hit that energetic slump, we want to tap into the very source uh, of energy. Okay, interesting. I didn't think about it that way. I didn't you know, either. You know, you probably know Dr. Mark Hyman. Yeah. Um, so he's a friend and student. He's a Ziva graduate. And he's like, for the few minutes a day that I invest in Ziva, I get back three hours of productivity and energy in my day. Yeah. So three hours a day. He's That's saying. a lot. It's a lot. That's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So like what times of day do you meditate? I usually do it around 8 a.m. So I have a one and a half year old. And uh, so I launched a 
book and a baby at the same time. <laughs> my son was six months old when my book came out. And so I was nursing through that book launch and it was definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. Thank God for meditation because I would not have made it through. Um, but now he sleeps from nine to nine. So I wake up at eight, I'll meditate, do whatever I need to do, shower, and then I'll get him up around or when he wakes up, I'm with him. And then I'll meditate again, usually around two, three, four, five, six-ish, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. It just depends on the day. And that might happen on a subway. That might mm-hmm. happen in a lift. That might happen on an airplane. That might happen with my son screaming in the next room. That might happen, you know, on a subway station. Like you don't have to have a perfect quiet altar in the same spot at the same day. This is the householder practice. It's not the monk practice. So you can do it in your open floor office plan. You can do it in a Starbucks. You can do it in a hotel lobby. You can do it in a library. You do not have to have quiet. You do not have to clear your mind. That's like a fun ad campaign, by the way. What? For later. You can do it anyway. Just like you can do it. Just kind of like subtly. And just have like sexy. Like photos of people doing it in different spots. No, you don't even say Oh, just do it. You can do it anywhere. You can do it here. You can do it there. And then you kind of like the reveal is Dr. Like, Seuss. Is, <laughs> the is reveal is the meditation. Yes. Sorry. Go I ahead. really, really like it. It's um, sexy. But basically, I'm just saying like you can just do it wherever you want. Yeah. On that, because you say you don't have to have quiet and you don't have to have your like altar and all that, which I totally appreciate. But this is my question from earlier. I have been using the um, the music tracks from One Giant Mind because they're not, it's not music; it's really just sound. It's almost like bells and like vibrations, which I love. Because, for example, like where I like to sit in my living room, there's a clock that I can hear the ticking, and I just start counting. I am really like I can't be around ticking clocks ever. So I use that those like that vibration sound to just kind of tune that out and create like a more neutral soundscape. And it's, you can set it for like a really long timer. So there's no timer that's stopping me. I'm still coming out of it on my own. But is that type of music? Because I know you kind of discourage any type of soundtrack, mm-hmm. right? So it's not the worst thing in the world. You know, you're not going to catch on fire. I love that you're meditating. Uh, and I too, when I was doing my teacher training, I, when I was doing the 18 hours a week, I had a clock that I could hear the... Oh, it drives me insane. Mm. of the second hand mm-hmm. and you know 18 hours a week you you lose your mind like yeah. you're basically going in and clean in house mm-hmm. and so anyway there was a point like let's say where I'm like seven hours into meditation and I just took the clock and I threw it so I'm just saying that for any raging meditators out there to hopefully make you feel less and then you had to like me meditate for another two hours <laughs> yeah. and deal with the rage you're still burning yeah. that one off yeah. that cost you like, you could have just taken the batteries out yeah, like, yeah, I could have taken the batteries out so that's an Option. Like, what if you took the batteries out of this? But I would have clock? to take them out every day. Like, man. oh, but wouldn't you just get a different clock or something? I could. Is, and I, if that's but the place where you do it every day, the, I guess the question is, you would the, rather I move the clock than use the music? Well, here's the thing: there's going to be noise of some ilk everywhere. Mm-hmm. Even in the caves of the Himalayas, there's wind and rain mm-hmm. and wolves, and like you know, there's a, nowhere on earth is silent. No. And so I don't want us to get dependent on props, white noise machine, noise canceling headphones, these gongs, these yeah. bells, because then because I want you to be as self sufficient as possible. Mm-hmm. Now that said, you know, now that I have a one year and a half year old, like if he's screaming like mama, 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 that's very challenging for me to meditate through because <laughs> there's a visceral reaction in my body, yeah. you know, especially when I was lactating, yeah. you know, like my body was right. viscerally responding <laughs> yeah. to that. And so I would say if you had to do something, I would recommend earplugs 
Because then you're just like blocking the sound. Here's why I can't use earplugs. Okay, let's hear it. Because then I hear my pulse and it's just like the ticking clock. Mm. I just count. Oh, dear I've God. I've never been able to use earplugs my whole life. We need, uh, okay. You need to. But I don't use the, ma- the music all the time. It's only yeah. when I'm in that space. And like, uh-huh. you know, if I can go outside, which is always my preference, mm-hmm. I would rather go outside. And then it's birds and water and that doesn't bother me. It's uh-huh. more just to create that kind of neutral palette. Mm. Okay. So I would say just as a fun experiment. <laughs> And by fun, I mean, this will not be fun at all. Okay, cool. <laughs> is what if we do one week, no music? Yeah. And just see what happens. See if you can bust into flames. See if you also break your clock on the floor okay. across the room. Just see what happens. And then you'll have a before and after. Yeah. You know, because what a lot of us do is that we're like, oh, that's going to annoy me. Or no, I can't listen to my pulse. I can't hear that ticking of the clock. But we never see what's on the other side right. of that. Like what it, happens it, if you it do It might be really annoying for three minutes. Yeah. And then what happens next, right? right? And then we're just training ourselves to be resilient. We're training ourselves to flow with whatever sound is happening. And then if you're in the Starbucks and someone's having a super annoying conversation next to you, you're like, that never happened. You just, you know, see what's on the other side of that annoyance. Okay, I'll bite. Just as an experiment. And if you hate it, then what you're doing is Then I will send you my earplugs. (laughs) Have Have you picked up on what my challenging noise is? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> if you can't yet hear it we've got a really hilarious oh, dog soundtrack we've got the dog snoring sound I, I don't think this ever gets picked up but it is like unbelievably loud and it's so constant he has to sleep in the basement he used like, to sleep in our it's bed it's like he knows and he's deaf but he knows that we're talking he's about he's totally him. deaf yeah he illustrated for my us. little spaniel um, oh, that's a bummer. But, you know, you could really think about this, like, you know, a nice ocean wave. Yeah. It's yeah. an ebb and flow. It's this your own, resonant your own happening right didn't here. Yeah, kind of like a didgeridoo. Didgeridoo. <laughs> um, oh didgeridoo. Didgeridoo. Oh, you're good at this. Um, I, well, this is, uh, I, I have to say, like, I'm, I'm quite inspired. Are you? I am. Okay. No, because I feel everything like you're saying as like all these apps that I've been doing, I mean, they feel just so like gimmicky and kind of like this a, is little, very common a sense little approach, a little cheap, you know? I mean, this makes much more sense to me. It's yeah. common sense. Well, and it also, I think, you know, the way, the, what, the work that you've done and the research that you've done and the results that you've actually been able to share in terms of just physiologically what's happening it makes sense, right? And you're actually seeing progress. So mm. those two things add up. I think it's, it's. I mean, I've tried, I've evangelized the shit out of this. Yay, thank you. <laughs> uh, one thing I'd love to just share, which I think might be relevant to you guys and to your folks, is that right now we're working on a kids training. Um, so we're going to have Ziva Kids. So then it's going to be three different age groups. We're just in research and development now. So it's not even out yet, but I just want to start planting the seeds so that people can I keep love their it. eyes yeah. open. I'm really passionate about this and I've been working on it for a year and it's it's coming out likely this August. So August of 2020. But there's going to be three different age groups, Ziva Kids, Ziva Preteens, and Ziva Teens. That's awesome. And the plan as of right now, and you guys are kind of the first to hear about this, so you can give me your feedback, is that in order to unlock the kids module, the the parents will first have to do Ziva Absolutely. online. Absolutely. So like you, if you wanted your kids to do it, you'd have to take the 15-day mm-hmm. training. So, you know, it's like the Suzuki method in music. If, before your kid can even pick up the violin, you have to learn how to play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star so that you understand how to hold it so you have respect for the difficulty mm-hmm. of it. And and more importantly with this, so that you're modeling the behavior for your kids. Because oftentimes our kids are stressed because we're stressed. And there's actually a study from Yale, which they had very, very stressed children. And instead of putting the children in therapy, they put the kid, the parents in therapy. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. And so with the kids having no treatment, just the parents going to therapy, the kids' stress dropped wow. precipitously. That's amazing. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, my oh, only caveat to this... <laughs> no, we're not screwing up our kids, but it's like, but I think it's a cool, like, let's all do this together. Totally. Yeah, you know, no, I love it. A thing that we can really unite on and, and all take responsibility for our own happiness and mm-hmm. our own stress. And, and an interesting byproduct that I've seen from teaching some parents is that their kids, because kids are narcissistic by nature, they have to be to survive. And so if mommy's sad, kids take that personally. I must have made mommy sad. Daddy's angry. I must have done something to make him angry. But if they see you cleaning house every day and meditating every day, they're like, oh, mommy didn't meditate today and she's a little angry. Did you meditate? And so they start seeing that it's not their fault, that Mm -hmm. there's a thing that you could be doing to feel better and you didn't do that. So like, oh, that's not on me. And then they start keeping you accountable. They start protecting it for you, which I think is fascinating. It's fascinating. So Anyway, I'm really excited about that. Just That's very to, cool. No, it's great. Yeah, I, we've had um, we've experimented with that meditation for kids too. Like in the car when we go, we have a place upstate, so we'll like often have these two-hour long drives, and you can imagine they are often filled with a lot of screaming <laughs> and crying. And the few times that we were like thoughtful enough to be like, "Oh my god, let's put on like this kids meditation thing," it really worked. I mean, it was so simple. It was just like someone speaking to a child in a childlike voice and doing something so simple. It was so simple. Breathing exercises. And then like my husband and I, it was like, we were all eventually, we're just doing it together. And we're like, oh, like everything is better now. I mean, it really worked. It was kind of miraculous. That makes me so happy. Because again, kids don't lie. They don't know placebo. So it's actually a really great experiment. the cool thing about meditation is that even if it is placebo, who cares? It doesn't matter. (laughs) Love to see It's doing something. Yeah, it's Do it all mind. day. Well, thank you so much for being here, Emily. This yeah, has been great. This is awesome. We're yeah. going to send everybody to Ziva online. Yeah, so it's just zivameditation.com. Zivameditation.com. Yep. And the, you have a three-day three trial, right? Yeah, you can go to zivameditation.com and you can get the first three days of Ziva online. So like you, you're you like, let me just try the first three days. And we really believe in this thing. And we have seen that people really want to keep going after that. Uh, we also have, interestingly, if you're, I don't know if you're into the online course space at all, but the average completion rate for online courses is 3%, <laughs> which is abysmal. That sounds totally, yes. My own personal experience. Ours is 70%. That's 70%. It's unheard of in the online space. I'm really proud of that. And we have a 30-day money-back guarantee, which is like like the amount of refunds that people ask for is like negligible. So it's, uh, if you do it and you commit to it, like your life will just get better. It just will. It's like if you go to the gym, you're going to get stronger. If you meditate, your life is going to be happier. Right. Oh my God. It's not I can't magic. Wait to improve my life. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you're doing pretty great. Because this shit sucks right now. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a perfect way to end it. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.